Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. in the gospel record of Matthew chapter number one. The gospel record of Matthew chapter one, and notice with me in verse one, the generation of Jesus Christ. The generation of Jesus Christ. And with the Lord's help, we'd like to give an introduction based off of this passage here and using it as a jump off point to kind of illustrate and explain what we're going to be doing in this series. And we're going to start here with the generation of of Jesus Christ. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you now, we're just asking that you would give us grace, that you would give us mercy, that you would help this series be a wonderful series to learn more about you. Even in this message, as we kick this off right, that you would open up your scriptures, that you would give us an understanding, that you would reveal back the curtain, help us to look back at the worldview, at the long-range view, and see that you're a God who's in control. I'm asking that you would give us much grace now and understanding and wisdom as we examine your Bible as a whole and then see it individually in the upcoming sermons. Thank you again for this great privilege and I'm excited and I'm asking that you would just help keep this exciting about your word. Fill me with your spirit now and just open up this. Do your own work through your precious word. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. In the gospel record of Matthew, we have a listing of the generation of Jesus Christ, the geology, genealogy of Jesus Christ, the family tree of Jesus Christ. And what we see here is what is often referred to as the kingly line of Jesus Christ. So what we see here is that God had a plan, and he had a plan from the very beginning, and that it demonstrates this genealogy. It demonstrates the fact that in, in spite of human failure, God pursued his perfect plan down through the centuries. Imagine this, that we put creation at a date about 4004 B.C. And we have the birth of Jesus Christ about 3 B.C. So what we're covering in this series is 4,000 years of human history. 4,000 years of tracing this genealogy from the first man, Adam, all the way up to Jesus Christ. And as we look at the long-range view, we see that God had a plan. And even though, as we check out the genealogy, you'll see that right away, not all of these people are perfect saints. In fact, there are some awful sinners here. That in this, we could see that there are some people who was wearing the purple fabric of royalty. There was some that we could see this lineology stretched or stitched into the sackcloth of a captive slave. Sometimes it was found in the homespun, uh, woven in into a peasant's uh, smock. But this thread of royal purple, this lineage of Jesus Christ in his kingly line, is woven 
all the way through this entire series. The kingly line of Jesus Christ. Now, when God deliberately introduced the genealogy of his son, we could see that there are some sinners of the deepest dye. Meaning that you come in here and there's some scumbags inside of this lineage here. Some people who you would read about and they said, what in the world? How did they make it inside of the lineage of Jesus Christ? Well, we could see it doesn't matter if there's awful people, God still has a plan and he could still get it accomplished. Inside of this lineage here, we have women who are represented, which at the time of the Jewish people, that many of the Jewish people looked down upon women. We know that biblical Christianity always lifts up and exalts Christian womanhood. But in this lineage, you don't have just males. You have some women that are woven in here. Inside of this lineage here, you even have some pagans. Some non-believing, non-Hebrews, Gentiles woven in here. And all throughout this, you are seeing that there is a God who can look at all of human decisions. Look at human choices and still have his good and perfect will accomplished. What we see here is that there's a God who knows what he's doing. A God who definitely just can see the end from the beginning. Now, as we examine this, notice with me at the very beginning, uh, verse 1. And the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Now, these are two important names inside of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Not only because of who they are, but also because what is promised to them. Inside of the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, there are four major covenants or agreements that God has made concerning his people, the Hebrew. And these four covenants, these four agreements, are called the Abrahamic covenant, promises that God made to Abraham. There is what some people call the Palestinian covenant or the land covenant, the promise for the land that God had promised the Hebrew people that they would inherit the land. There is the Davidic covenant, promises a covenant that God had made concerning David and his lineage. And then there is something called the new covenant and the promises that God made to the Hebrew people. Now, these covenants are literal eternal, unconditional, and specific. Now these are important because just like a border of a puzzle, these four covenants frame all of prophecy and that these are the basis of all prophetic events found in the Bible. And as we deal with the lineage of Jesus Christ, two of these covenants are specifically important and they would be the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. Now this is important because what, what are we talking about through this? Well, as I said, what we see through here, as we go back and do the reverse worldview, as we see the forest and not just the individual trees, we could see that God has put this scarlet or this purple thread of royalty and he has woven it throughout history. And with it, we can look back and see, look, God knew what he was doing the whole time. Sometimes when you're looking at an individual person, you look at someone like Isaac who tried to take God's will in his own hands and he messed it up. And you look at him and say, look, he messed up so badly, God can't get this accomplished. And you look back and say, well, that wasn't even a hiccup. 
God knew exactly what he's doing. You look back into the trees and you find that God had promised David that there would always be a king. And that there was going to be a kingly line. And that God's Messiah was going to inherit this. And then you come to a king who messed up so badly that God got so frustrated with him. That he said, listen, I curse anyone who's blood related to him and sitting on the throne. And Satan, you could see him, said, yes, I finally got God to counter out his word. And you look and say, how is this going to be overcome? How did, does God just go to plan B? And then you look back and see that thread still woven in so clearly. And you look and say, God knew what he was doing all the time. Even though you have numbskulls, even though you had people that messed things up, even though you had things that looked like hiccups and they looked like huge roadblocks and they looked like the end, you see that God never stutter step. He never rubbed his head and said, oh man, these guys messed everything up for me. How am I going to fix this? You look back and see, it was never broken. God is that good. And that's what this lineage tells us. This is what it shows us, is that God always knew what he was doing. Now, this is going to be important because how we view God is how we react to the world around us today. Keep that in mind because we're going to get back to that. How we view God is how we interact with the world today. So let's go back and I would like to show you specifically dealing with the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. But I want to show you at the beginning before any of the covenants, let's show the seedbed of all of these covenants all the way back in the beginning, the book of Genesis chapter number three. The book of Genesis chapter number three. We know that in Genesis chapter one, God created the heaven and the earth. And in six literal days, God created everything that's in the earth, including man and women, man and woman. And day number two, or chapter number two, God goes back and puts an emphasis and opens up day six and allows us to see the events in day six in more specific detail. In Genesis chapter three, we have the fall of man, the account where the first woman ate the first man out of house and home. We have this account here where man made a mistake. He decided that he was at God. By the way, what does this all mean where it talks about in Genesis chapter 3 that they shall be gods and God himself says now they are like as we are? What does this mean? Well, it means that man determined, I am God of my own life. I determine what's right and wrong, not God. And that was the whole problem. That's what God wanted to avoid in the first place. He wanted them to be dependent on him because he is God. And to trust God to be God. Man's problem is that we don't trust God to be God. And we mess things up ourselves. I mean we try to do things ourselves. Same thing. Every time we try to do it ourselves we mess it up. And so God said, I don't want them to go through that. I want them to trust me. And so now what we find is our natural state is that we're always rebelling against God and trying to do it ourselves. Even good things we try to do ourselves. And God's trying to get us to change and depend upon him, which is unnatural to us. We always want to take control. And we don't want God to be in control. We have a fear of letting go. Well, because man had sinned, there's consequences. And there was consequences for man. There was consequences for the woman. 
But there was also consequences for Satan. And in this, we have the first seedbed. We could find here the patch of dirt where God places a seed that later on is going to grow up to be this promise that God made. Notice with me in Genesis chapter 3. And notice with me in verse number 15. Now here, God is giving the sentence down to Satan because of his... Uh, part in deceiving the woman and causing man to purposely sin. Verse number 15, and I, God, will put enmity or make you enemies between thee, Satan, and the woman, and between thy seed, and notice this, her seed, and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now notice the word seed. This word seed here is in the singular case. Meaning that it's not dealing with the idea of all of the generations of the woman. It's talking about a specific seed that's going to come. And this specific seed is going to bruise Satan's head. But Satan is going to bruise his heel, this seed, this person heel. Now, if you get a bruise on your heel, is that life-threatening? No. It's inconvenient, but it's not life-threatening. If your head is crushed in, is that life-threatening? Absolutely. So it means that no matter what Satan tries to do, he's not going to win. He is going to lose. And that God gave this first promise of a redeemer. In fact, if you've never marked this anywhere or put notes, uh, Genesis 3.15 is the very first promise of the redeemer. Now, that's interesting to note. It's in a Latin called the Proto-Evangelism, a big fancy word that means the first promise of the redeemer, first promise of salvation. And by the way, the first promise of salvation was already made available the first time man sinned. What we see here is that when man messed up, God didn't say, Oh man, what would you do? Now I have to replan everything. God already knew. And he already had made plans for it. Again, telling us that even though we think we mess up or we think someone else messes up and for us it looks like everything is devastated, when you look back, you can see it's not even a hiccup to God. And the things that we think are great obstacles, God looks back and says, I've got it, no problem. Because God is that big and he knows what he is doing. Now with this seed bed, it grows up. And God then brings a promise to Abraham. Now let's look at the Abrahamic covenant. Notice with me in the book of Genesis chapter number 12. Time goes on. There is a worldwide flood. God repopulates the earth. Generations go down. And then God calls out a man by Abraham out of the Ur of Chaldees. And with this, God makes a specific promise to Abraham and then repeats it several times within Scripture. But notice with me in chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now notice this. 
There's three different blessings here that God gives to Abraham. First of all, it's the personal promise of blessing. Abraham got a personal promise. What was this promise? Verse number two. And I will make of thee, Abraham, a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shall be a blessing. So what we see here is a personal promise of blessing. And he promised that Abraham was going to have a seed. He was going to have a son. There was going to be a son of promise. In Genesis 15, he goes more specific in detail. But basically, as Abraham is now following God, he's about 50, 60 years old. And God says, guess what, Abraham? I know you're 50, 60, 70, somewhere around there. But you're going to have a son. And from this, you are going to be the father of millions. And by the way, he became 60 million people that came from Abraham. That's a lot. We know that from him came the Arabic people as well as the innumerable Jewish people. Two different people came from Abraham. In it, God said that his name would be great. And surely, as we have Islam, um, Judaism, and Christianity, all three of those religions has Abraham as a great man. God knew what he was doing. And with that, he said, by the way, you yourself, you will be a blessing to others. And he was, as you read through the book of Genesis. So we see this personal promise of blessing. And then he goes on and he says, not only will you have a personal promise, I'm going to make you a national blessing. Notice this. And I will, <coughs> and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. By the way, he said that you're going to have a seed, and I'm going to bless your seed, the children of Israel. And they're going to spread out to be uncountable. He gives this in Genesis 15, he spreads them out there, that you're going to have so many, you're never going to be able to count all the descendants that you have. And by the way, he says, I'm also going to give you all of this land. That was a promise that God had given in Genesis 15. Again, he expands this out a little bit. But he says, your children, they're going to be a great nation. And I'm going to bless this nation. And I'm going to work in this nation. And I'm going to give them the land. I've got a promise for the nation that's going to come from you. So there's a personal promise. There's the national promise. But then there's a universal promise. He says, because of you... All of the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's a promise that God gave to Abraham. That from you all the world's going to be blessed. Think of how many people around the world have been able to trust in Jesus Christ. Because of the promises that God had made to Abraham. Now with that, God had made these promises to Abraham. But Let us teach something about the promises of God. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Romans, chapter number 4. I know we're turning to a couple different scriptures tonight, but it's important for us to get a good understanding. We want to be able to see the picture as a whole in this introduction, to understand what God's doing before we start looking at the individual trees lining up. Let's see the big picture. Now, as God had promised Abraham, Abraham's already an old man, older man, not old, an older man. And God had made a promise that you're going to have a son. Well, that sounds great when you're younger. But as time went on, God still said, I'm going to keep my promise. I'm getting older. Yeah, but I'm going to keep my promise. But I'm getting older. But I'm going to keep my promise. 
Notice with me in Romans chapter 4. Notice with me in verse 16. Therefore it is of faith that it might be, a, be grace to the end that pro, the uh, to the end, the promise might be made sure or to be fulfilled to all the seed, not only or not to that only which is of the law, but also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him who in me believed, even God, who quickened the dead and called those things which be not. As though they were. So meaning God made a promise. And as he's getting older. He's saying it doesn't seem like this promise is going to work out. I've got a barrier. I'm a hundred. My wife is 90. That's a pretty big barrier of having a child. And so it doesn't look like God's going to keep his word. But I trust God more than the obstacles. More than the barriers. I'm putting my faith in God. Even though it seems impossible. I don't know how it's going to work out. But God made a promise. And I'm trusting in his promise. Notice with me in verse 18. Who against hope believed in hope. That's a wonderful phrase. Who against hope believed in hope. You know you may be in a hopeless situation. But against that lack of hope. Believe in hope. Trusting God, even though, how is it going to work out? I could trust in Him. That He might become the Father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And be not weak in faith. He considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old. Neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. When it's speaking about there, he's like, I'm a hundred years old. I'm not at the place where I'm making babies. My wife is 90. She's a long way from having babies. I'm hoping against hope. It does not make sense to believe what I believe. But I trust God rather than the physical. I trust God rather than what is, seems to be true and an emphatic truth around me. Verse 20. He staggered not. That means he didn't waver. He stayed firm. He was steadfast. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he, God, was also able to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone. But that it was imputed to him. But for us also. To whom it be imputed. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Here it's talking about Abraham. Do you understand that Abraham had received a promise. And had lived with that promise 30-40 years. And had never come to pass. Never came to pass. But it said that he didn't waver. He was steadfast. He trusted God that God was able to do it. You know what we see here? What we see here is a message against our sin of impatience. We get so impatient with God. God knew what he was doing the whole time. You look at the whole, look back and see the straight line that God had made. He didn't hiccup. It didn't bother him when someone messed up, when someone did this, when this obstacle went in the way. God was in control. But for us down 
looking at God and just seeing what we see? How is this going to come to pass? How is this going to go? When is it going to come to pass? Can you imagine how many times Abraham was tempted to think, is this really going to happen? When is this going to happen? When? God, I'm ready for it now. Do you think he, he thought he was ready for a son at age 50? Yep. But God says, nope, not yet. How about 60? Is he ready? Yes. Nope, not yet. 70? Nope, not yet. 80? Come on. I don't have much time. I'm 80. Nope, not yet. 90? I mean, everybody else is looking at their great-grandkids. I'm waiting for my first kid. Nope, not yet. You know what that is? Patience. We live in such an instant gratification society. We are not willing to wait on God. And we get to the idea where we waver. Oh, but it doesn't seem like God's working, so I'm going to turn my whole life around because it doesn't seem to be working. Nope, I'm going to do this over here. Nope. And we're not stable. We go back and forth. We don't stay stable. We waver. Oh, oh, it doesn't seem to be working. What does it mean by working? Does God give a promise? Then just be obedient and trust that he'll get it through. We live in such an instant gratification society. We don't know what it means to wait. We don't know what it is to be on a long-term waiting prayer. If it doesn't happen in the next five minutes, listen, I gave God one week. It doesn't work that way. But God doesn't waver. God knows what he's doing. And he doesn't change his plan. He always keeps his plan. It's us that are unstable and unwitting. That waver all over. Notice with me in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter number 11. As now it, Hebrews gives commentary on this Abrahamic covenant. Notice with me Hebrews chapter 11. Notice with me in verse 8. Hebrews 11 and verse 8. By faith Abraham when he was called to go out to a place that he should go should after receive for an inheritance obeyed. And he went out notice this not knowing whether he went. You know one thing about Abraham? He didn't know where he was going. God said, just follow me. Where are we going? You don't need to worry about that. And that answer was good enough for Abraham. You know what we like? We want the five-year plan. Tell me what's going to happen. Tell me where I'm going to end up. Tell me what I'm going to look like. Let it all out, and then I'll decide if I follow you. God says, no, are you willing to trust me? Are you willing to allow me to lead? And are you able to trust me for what I'm going to give to you? Abraham didn't know where he was going to end up. God didn't say, hey, I got something down the street for you. And you just follow me and I'll give it to you. God says, follow me and we'll lead you to the place eventually. Yes, sir. That's amazing. Verse number nine. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise. As in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob. The heirs of him. Notice this of the same promise. You know Isaac had the same promise that God was going to make of him a great nation. And Jacob had the same promise that God was going to make out of him a, saint, a great nation. They had the same promises. Dad took baby Isaac upon his knee and said listen. God made me a promise. That he was going to make of me a great nation. And you're my child of promise. And so that promise extends to you. That God is going to make out of you a great nation. And then one day Isaac took Jacob. And said guess what Jacob. 
I know you got the inheritance and it's not how I planned it, but you got the inheritance. God's going to make of you a great nation. And they carried in those same promises. Do you know that Abraham never saw his nation? That's what this text is now leading to. Verse number 10. For he looked for a city who, which hath foundations, whose builder and maker was God. What it's speaking about is that he's looking for what God can do, not what man can do. He could trust that God could do better in his life than what he could do for himself. Verse number 11. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. Why is this important? Because she's 90. Can you imagine being 90 and carrying that baby? You imagine, most 90-year-olds are not equipped to go carry a ton baby or however they weigh and kind of go that frail 90-year-old body. God gave her strength. I mean, somebody said, are you crazy? You're 90 years old. What are you thinking about having a child? Well, I'm trusting God for strength because I don't have it myself. Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child. Can you imagine that? No hospitals being 90 years old and delivering a child without an epidural, without the hospital, without drugs. 90 years old? Most of you don't want to go through that when you're young. Can you imagine 90? She's trusting in God's promises. God, you promised this child. You're going to have to work everything out that goes along with the child. You understand that there's more than having a child than just, boop, here you go, here's the son. The stork dropped him off. She had to carry him for nine months and then had to deliver the guy. It said, delivered of a child when she was past age because she had judged him faithful who had promised. She goes, God made me a promise and I don't know how it's going to work out. My body doesn't seem like it's going to hold out. But I could trust God even though it doesn't seem it's possible. Therefore, you know, can you imagine when it was told that she was expecting? That probably wasn't the best news for her as she looked at her aches and pains at 90 years old. I mean, Abraham's probably dancing somewhere, but she's like, oh, great. I got to go through. This is the first time she's gone through this too. So she had to go through all that first at 90. Amazing. Notice as it goes on. Verse 12, therefore sprang there even one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky and the multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore, innumerable. Notice this, all these died in faith, not received the promises, but having them seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Again, Abraham died before he saw the promise fulfilled. He had a son, but is that a great nation? No. He had a grandson, but is that a great nation? No. All of them embraced it, though God promised and I'm trusting in him. And I may die before receiving God's promise fulfilled, but I'm trusting in God's promise. Now, that's called patience. Are you willing to trust God even after you're dead to continue to do what he said he was going to do? You know, again, God is in a long-term plan. We're just, we could barely tolerate five minutes from now. But God is someone 
who is long range. And our lack of patience stems from a lack of faith. Can you trust God? Now as we talked about the Abrahamic covenant. Let's look at the Davidic covenant. Turn with me if you don't mind the book of 2 Samuel chapter 7. The book of 2 Samuel chapter 7. Downhill slope now. Daniel chapter number 7. And we want to see the promise that God made. Daniel, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Notice with me starting at verse number 12. 2 Samuel chapter 7 starting at verse 12. And when thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. Now remember the word sleep is a nice Bible way of saying dead. He says guess what David. When your days are fulfilled and you die. I shall set up thy seed after thee. And I will set up. Uh, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him or spank him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not Depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put it away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. And thy throne shall be established forever. According to all those words, according to all this vision, so Nathan did speak unto David. This is what is called the Davidic throne. And that David is going to have a child, by the way, who is not born yet at this promise. You're going to have a child you don't even have yet, born yet. Kind of like Abraham. You're going to have a child that's not born yet. And I'm going to use this child to build me a house. And I'm going to establish the kingdom. And I promise you, David, that there is going to be someone sitting who is a descendant from you. Sitting on the throne forever. That's a promise. And God made it to David. And by the way, he said, David, you're going to die and you're not going to see this. And David said, I could trust you. I could trust you. I can trust you to establish this forever. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in the gospel record of Luke chapter 1. The gospel record of Luke chapter 1. The gospel record of Luke chapter 1, of course, is talking about Jesus Christ being born. And Luke chapter 1, in the middle of the context where we're at, Mary has been told, congratulations! I know that you're not married yet and that you haven't done anything wrong, but you're going to have a baby! Good news. And notice the good news is explained in verse number uh, 32. Uh, 31. And behold thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. What we see here is that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment that God had made to David. And what you find in the gospel record of Matthew chapter 1, by the way, is that kingly line. What we see is the two promises. That God promised Abraham that he would have a seed forever. And by that seed it would bless the entire world forever. The fulfillment of that is Jesus. And we see that marked through the gospel record of Matthew chapter number 1. 
In addition, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's promise to David. That David was going to have someone who was going to inherit his throne and was going to be blood related to him and was going to rule forever. And in the gospel record of Matthew chapter 1, you see that kingly line go all the way through to the stepfather of Jesus that if there was a king in the time of Joseph, he would have and should have been the king of Jerusalem. But because he had a great, 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 great grandfather who messed up, he wasn't the king. But that kingly line would have run through him and his stepson Jesus inherited that kingly line. But he was also blood related to, to David. And we see that lineage go through Mary in the gospel record of Luke chapter 1. So he was blood related to David. He, inherited the, he had the proper inheritance for the throne and he ruled forever. This is why the genealogy is so important. What you see is this purple strand of royalty. Go all the way up from Adam and see it woven all the way through the ages, through the fabric of time, all the way up to Jesus Christ. And when you look back, you can see that God knew what he was doing the entire time. Now, what does this do for us? Well, first of all, we shouldn't waver. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to one last passage. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And by the way, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is another promise that God had given to us that Jesus Christ is coming back. Now remember, the lineage of Christ series starts from Adam, 4004 BC, and goes to Jesus Christ, who was born in robed in flesh about 3 BC. That was 4,000 years. Now Jesus lived on this earth, lived the same life that you and I lived, went through the same temptations, the same troubles, and the same heartbreaks. Then he died on the cross to pay for your sins and to pay for mine. Then he rose again the third day and then ascended up to heaven and is alive forevermore with the promise that he was coming back. And for 2,000 years, we're clinging to that promise that he's going to come back. Even the rest of the world are saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since our fathers fell asleep, all things continue since they begin, since they were at creation they're saying you keep saying Jesus is coming back where is he we've been waiting for 2,000 years but remember God is in a long-range plan now in the midst of all of this that's the promise here notice the conclusion that God gives to us because we know that God is in a long-range plan verse number 57 1 Corinthians 15 verse 57 but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. By the way, the victory comes because of Jesus, when Jesus Christ comes. But he gives us victories now. Verse number uh, 58, therefore. So because God keeps his promise, because Jesus gives us the victory, because God knows what he's doing, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The conclusion of this, because we know that God is in a long range plan, we can trust him. Our spot place is not to waver, but to be steadfast, unmovable. Now again, that's pretty much opposite of what we are. I remember having a man come years ago. Who, whose wife was threatening to divorce him. 
And so he figured, I know, I'm going to come to church, and I'm going to start doing whatever the preacher says, and I know that God is going to fix my marriage. Well, it took all those years to break it. It's probably not going to get fixed overnight. And so he showed up and started coming to church and started reading his Bible, and I could start telling immediately that he was doing it not to get close to God, but hoping that God would see him and say, okay, I'm going to fix things. And when it did not fix in a small amount of time, he says, it's not working, and then just left. Well, he was wavering. Sometimes people will say, well, listen, I know I'm supposed to do this, I'm supposed to do this, and then all of a sudden something hits them, something gets in their way, something, oh no, I guess I'm not supposed to do this, I'm going to go over here now, and they switch gears. God says we're supposed to be steadfast, unmovable, just always abounding in the work of the Lord. Be stable. God is in a long-range plan. We don't have to adjust everything. For example, I've seen a, a preacher. He was talking to me about soul winning years ago. And he said, I'm going to try this soul winning thing. Okay, I already know that's bad news. And then he comes to me and I said, I knocked on 200 doors and not a single person came to church. Man, you're just starting. <laughs> you got to be faithful. But what if it doesn't work? Who cares? You're just supposed to do what God told you to do. He's on a long range plan. Whenever someone considers joining the church, one of the things I'll always ask them are, do you believe that this is God's will for you to join the church? I always ask that because God does not change his mind. If God brought him to this place, then God's going to keep him in this place. But later on they said, but I didn't know that the church believed this. But God did. And did God know before you asked him, should you go here? Yes. Therefore, you don't have to waver. You don't have to move. If this is where God placed you, he's not going to move you. Amen. That's being unmovable, stable. You say, well, when am I supposed to move the church? When you become a missionary, you're going to help start a church. Until then, be faithful. Be unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Be stable. So many times we quit right before we get God's blessings. Well, it doesn't seem to be working. What's not working? God's always at work, but God's in a long-range plan. We are so impatient. And we don't stick with it. And if it doesn't seem to give us the results that we want in a certain amount of time, well, fine. I'm not doing it anymore. We're so result-oriented. God wants us to look at Him. Leave the results to Him. Remember, Abraham didn't know where he was going. God said, just follow me and trust me. Yes, sir. He didn't worry about the results. Where am I going to end out? Where do I send my mail at? How is this going to work out? He said, trust. Okay, God says, go here. Let's do that. What I'm asking you is, can you see that God is in a long-range plan? God doesn't freak out because new information came because nothing ever occurred to God. He knows everything. He knows the obstacles that are going to come in our way. In fact, he planned most of them. And the other ones had to go across his desk and stamp before they went and hit you. He knew what was going to happen. He knew when the weather was not going to work out. He knew when the tire was going to pop. He knew when someone was going to do something stupid that affected your life. And God doesn't say, oh no, what am I going to do now? Help! God 
always knows. It's us who don't have enough information and we react when it seems like the situation changed. But when God looks back, everything is stable. Everything's all right. God has everything well in hand. So for you, dear friend, the idea is, can you trust a God who knows what he's doing? Or do you see a God who's like a senile old man who just keeps forgetting where he puts his glasses and doesn't remember what he said from one time to another? You understand how you respond is how you see God. Is God in control? Does he know everything or does he not know everything? Can you trust God? And as you go through the lineage of Christ, you are not going to find some of the choicest people. Some are, and some are not. You're going to find some wicked people within his line. But did that mess up God's plan? No. Because God knew what he was doing. Can you trust God? Now, I understand our flesh is weak. And our flesh gets impatient. And our flesh reacts. What I'm asking you is, are you willing to follow what God said to be steadfast, to be unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord? But you don't understand. It just seems like things are falling apart. Stay with us. Stay with us. God knows what he's doing. But you don't understand my whole family situation. Stay with us. Keep going. Trust God. But I've been praying and I've been praying and it doesn't seem to work and it's been just a week. Keep going. Keep being faithful. But I've been praying for this person to change and I've prayed a whole five minutes and I looked and I called them and they didn't change their mind. Keep being faithful. Keep going. Keep looking. God is in a long range plan. We can trust him. Can you? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.